You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, everybody. Ed Stetzer here. So glad to be back. Continue our study of the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. We're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, what a great week we had last week, gathered together in person. Kevin was there. Kevin and I have been friends for a long time. Wonderful, wonderful preacher and brother in the Lord. So, so decided we're going to continue our series today. We're talking about, well, today we're going to go and talk some about Blessed Are the Meek. Blessed Are the Meek from Matthew chapter 5 verse 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Let me put it up there. Actually, it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And today, meekness is not something people want. It's not something people um, aspire to. It's not something that people tend to think of as a positive attribute. Boy, particularly uh, in New York City, right, where where meekness is not valued, but um, but instead, we, we often will see people who think meekness is a bad thing. You got to punch back. You got to punch hard. Uh, and I want you to know this, right? So, um, what you might feel sometimes in New York City, this, you know, you got to be the boss and tell people, put people in their place, is actually the same in Jesus' day, if not more so, right? See, that's why this moment and this teaching is so odd today. It was so odd then. Meekness is weakness. Then and often now, we don't want weakness, right? We want we want something else. We want strength. We want to be the master of our own destiny, master of our own domain. Um, and what I want to see today is we are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength submitted to Jesus. Now, one of my favorite movies, and they've now made a... TV series that came off of YouTube and then over Netflix uh, on this. But my one of my favorite movies is Karate Kid, the first one. There were others that were afterwards, but they were travesties compared to the first one. And I like it for many reasons. I love that this uh, older mentor, this older man takes this fatherless kid under his wing, mentors him, teaches him how to be a man. And I love that Daniel, the teenage boy, um, uh, he learns, Ralph Macchio, the actor, he learns karate and then figures out how to defend himself from bullies. He meets, I always wanted to, I actually wrote a series of goals out when I was, I think, 15. And one of the goals was to write a book, and one of them was to be a get a PhD, and, and there were a whole bunch of them. And I actually met uh, all the goals except one. I wanted to be a black belt in karate. So you can see how I just love that. So, so anyway, so in the story, I mean, it's a typical Hollywood story, right? Uh, he figures out how to defend himself. He meets and falls in love with a cheerleader. It's to Hollywood. It's a perfect Hollywood ending. And one of the um, underappreciated aspects of the movie, I think, is how Mr. Miyagi sees and uses unorthodox methods to teach karate. Daniel wants to learn how to defend himself, to fight, right? So Mr. Miyagi assigns to him various domestic tasks, right? Daniel's made to paint the fence, paint the fence, right? To sand the floor, uh, to wax a small fleet of cars. Wax on, wax off. And after a while, Daniel gets frustrated, feels like 
Mr. Miyagi's just using him for free labor, which is kind of what I thought that my teenage children were partly for, but that, that's another story of another day. Instead of teaching him karate, in the famous scene, Mr. Miyagi shows him how these domestic tasks have been preparing him for karate. And Daniel and the audience, right, are amazed that Mr. Miyagi has prepared him for battle, but in an orthodox way. In a sense, that's what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving um, these upside-down commands. Remember, we looked at last time, uh, a couple times ago, this upside-down picture of the kingdom of God, right? That woman who was painting. Because if you haven't seen it, you can watch the series online at our website. But the upside-down commands in order to prepare us for God's kingdom life. Things like be poor in spirit, mourn. These characteristics make you blessed or fortunate. Now, again, we think of fortunate, we think of lucky. And a lot of Christians are like, well, we're not, we're talking about lucky. But the word fortunate is often sometimes how people translate this passage today. Uh, because they think it's kind of a better expression of blessed. But later, he says that those who make peace... And those who are persecuted are to be envied or fortunate. How can that be? So today, we'll see that Jesus issues another seemingly odd, even crazy proverb. And the and, and again, these are not, let me just also say, these are not things that I naturally teach and preach on, right? So for me, because I don't, I don't, na- I'm not naturally inclined to be a particularly uh, meek person. This is a learning experience for me as well. And I hope it will be for you. It, it'd be for both of us. I think for all of us. Um, and again, so let's walk through and we're going to look at uh, this, this thing one, one section at a time. But I think it's helpful for us to sort of um, rewind a little bit because, you know, it's it's summertime. Uh, well, not officially, but soon. But a um, lot going on in the life of our church. So let's look at the background of the this beatitude, right? So again, the words are, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, and again, this very much fits with things we see in scripture, like uh, where, it's, where, where it says, behold, your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey. So so, and a lot of people want to remake Jesus into their own image. See this all the time, where um, you know Jesus is like a fighter. Jesus is like a, you know uh, you know he's like a like a you know like a warrior in that sense. Now, now again, yet the Scripture speaks of his first coming in ways that are humble and meek. Now, certainly there are examples that come to your mind, right? Well, he drove the people out of the temple, yes. But we want to really take the Scripture at its face value, and see what's going on here. Now, to understand, and this is a little strange, but to understand Matthew 5, 5, I think we have to understand uh, Psalm 37. We have to understand Psalm 37. Now, let me explain why that's the case. Because clearly, Jesus is actually uh, referring to, the language is too similar, and in, in Psalm 37, it's a wisdom psalm. In fact, it's almost a direct quote, what Jesus says here, of Psalm 3711, translated from what's called the Septuagint. And, um, and we're going to, let's, let's look at it. So we're specifically, it's a direct quote of, uh, of Psalm 37, verse 11. Psalm 37, verse 11, which I'm going to read in just a second, but I want you to see more about the whole context of Psalm 37, because remember, I mean, devout Jewish people, they would have definitely been aware of Psalm 37. And that's who Jesus is talking to, his Jewish followers of Jesus, Jewish disciples at this point. And Psalm 37 says this. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers, 
right? Uh, don't be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass, and and they'll soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. This is all Psalm 37, right? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7 says, be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Uh, still haven't gotten to verse 11, but we're going to get there in a minute. Verse 8, refrain from anger. And again, I know it's strange to read all of Psalm 37 to talk about Matthew 5, 5, but you have to to understand just how often, frequently, and robustly the New Testament is connected to the Old Testament, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew in particular, so connected. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Similar language you've heard elsewhere, right? In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And here it is. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Right? So, okay, here it is. So, so Psalm 37, 11. Let me read verse 11 again so you get a picture of it. This is specifically Psalm 37, 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace peace, right? So a lot of words in there, like words like trust, delight, commit, be still, wait, and refrain, right? So we also see this in Psalm uh, 37, 9, second part says, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land, right? So there's a relationship. Now, we don't have a land today, but there's a relationship then between being meek and being patient, and taken together from Psalm 37, which is how people would have thought of it 2,000 years ago, and that's the way we want to understand is what would it have meant to them. Taken together, we see a quiet strength and resolve to wait on God by faith. A quiet strength and resolve to wait on God by faith. If you ever had to wait on important news, you know how hard that can be, right? Uh, you're waiting for something to come through, right? And, and it takes strength to walk quietly and meekly in New York or Chicago traffic. So a sign of spiritual maturity from this beatitude is the ability to wait quietly without losing your temper, without losing it, and trusting in God. Um, again, one church leader historically talked about something I find really helpful. He called it the prayer of indifference. Now, it seems strange, prayer of indifference, where you would pray for nothing but the will of God to be done, and to be completely indifferent to any other outcome. This was what you cared about, right? You're going to trust the Lord. And I think this is kind of the meekness described here. It's not weak. It's meek. So if we're going to get to that, we've obviously got to ask the question, well, what is the, what is the meaning of meek? What's going on here when we talk about what it means to be meek? Now, the, the word meek actually um, is the word, the word meek. Uh, it, let me give a little background, right? Because they would have been familiar with some of this from the past, right? The word is used in common and popular culture and more. So um, Aristotle uh, defines meekness as the mean between stubborn anger and that negativeness of character, which is incapable of even righteous indignation. Interesting, right? So there's this 
kind of place in between them. R.T. France, the biblical scholar, says the term itself may properly be understood of uh, the relations with other people. They are those who do not throw their weight about. I mean, that's interesting. We've heard the phrase throwing your weight around, right? Um, but there's a gentleness there, right? Uh, Bible scholar D.A. Carson says it suggests gentleness and self and the self-control that it entails. You'll keep hearing a theme about self-control is related to weakness. So you can be meek and be very strong. Now, we, we don't always have to have that. You know, we can think of the gentle giant. We can think of, you know, athletes that we've seen who are very gentle and, you know, huge. But but don't don't just think that that's what meek is. But you can have a lot of strength and be meek, but that strength can come in many different ways. It doesn't have to be the size of your bulging bicep, right? So, but but again, we, that's how we immediately think about that. Think of, of an athlete that, you know, is very gentle and caring, but huge, right? So that's meek, strength under control. That's physical strength. But meekness is a uh, emotional, it's intellectual, it's spiritual. So um, we are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting, that's the patience, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength submitted to Jesus. Okay, so again, I told you I wanted to kind of go back and touch on a few things just to remind us of the beauty of the Beatitudes for just a moment, right? These are attributes of kingdom people. Now, I just want you to know, Calvary, that one of the things I've seen is some of you do mark this attitude in your own lives. Uh, and I'm not saying all of us do, and I don't all the time, but I've already seen in some of you, because I've gotten to know some of the staff, some of the elders, and some of the deacons, and I just am blessed to know that in a world, a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right, like New York, there are some of you who mark strength and you do what you need to do and you lead well, and but you do it in the midst of meekness, not weakness. And these are attributes of kingdom people, right? So all the Beatitudes are, right? So remember the, the last time we talked about this, we said that the first section of the Sermon on the Mount is typically called the Beatitudes. Most translations set out each Beatitude with the phrase, blessed are the. And the, there's actually a challenge with that, is that blessed tends to refer in most people, to divine, uh, active divine favor. God blesses you with something uh, in some way. Or think in even terms of, you know, maybe we bless others, right? But, um, but countless places in the Old Testament talk about God in that way. You know, he blesses. This favor of God comes from a covenant between God and humans. But that's not the word that Matthew uses. He's not saying, that in this way, he's not saying this is a divine covenant between God and humans in the Beatitudes. Instead, the Beatitudes are more like Proverbs in their own, their, their own category, but they're more like Proverbs than like divine active blessing. Because remember, we looked at Psalm 1 as an example. Uh, the righteous man lives one way while the wicked man lives another, and the man who lives godly way can be considered fortunate. Or blessed is the man who's, you know, who's in the word of God, who's, he's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. She's like a, like a, her, her leaf does not wither. Whatever she does, she flourishes, right? In other words, uh, fortunate is the man who lives rightly, who avoids evil, meditates on God's law, 
His way of life will cause him to be happy and to flourish. So that's the way Jesus is using this upside-down life, a Beatitudes life, how it will flourish. So as we continue to make our way through the Beatitudes, as we walk through them and get a picture of what's going on, um, Jesus is not making a covenant with his listeners. There's no divine promise to bless them. There are no, if you do this, then this will happen statements which is often the case in the Old Testament. Instead, the Beatitudes are, 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 are proclamations that this is what it's like and invite you to, to be a part, to live this way, and it, it's going to lead to human flourishing. It's going to be better for you. So Jesus is telling them and us how humans can flourish in God's upside-down kingdom because we are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength submitted to Jesus, which leads us to number three on our outline. We're going to talk about the blessedness of this beatitude, right? So this is what we're going to focus on. I, I thought we need to get a little background. I mean, reminder, we easily forget there's a lot going on in our lives right now. So, um, so what is the blessedness of this beatitude? So meekness is um, a biblical call. Now, let me just be honest. Meekness is not my strength. But here we are. This is one of the advantages of preaching through a book of the Bible. I have had to, I will tell you that being married and having three daughters has taught me, uh, those teenage years have taught me uh, meekness. And it's interesting too because, um, you know, in my case, I wasn't aware sometimes that I can be my very big personality. I'm big personally, I have a big personality, I have a big voice. And my daughters would tell me that... Um, you know, I'm like welcoming everybody, and I'm always, you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm very expansive in my welcome to people, and and my daughters would say, you need to, you need to recognize that you can scare people. I'm like, I'm like the biggest teddy bear ever, so I had to grow in some ways, and still grow in some ways of meekness. I, I told my wife I was preaching on meekness, and she chuckled, right? So I told my daughter that I was going to preach on meekness and weakness, and she said, good luck. Um, <laughs> so, um, but my dad, you know, my dad was an Irish Union Iron Lather, who won lots of bar fights. He would tell me all the places um, we're going to be, Don and I are going to be coming, and we're staying at a uh, at a hotel. We're coming a few days early. You're going to celebrate together uh, uh, and and come come to church on Sunday, and we're doing a little thing afterwards. We'll have more about that coming. But we're staying at a hotel my dad used to stay at when he was uh, in a apprentice for the Union. And he'd say, go down to that bar. I got a lot of fights in that. Remember, I lost my job. He told me that job because of that. So this is kind of how I was raised. And that's not an excuse, right? But I still find his bar fight persona in me. So I got to learn and grow, just being transparent, right? So what does it mean to be meek today? So I'm maybe you think I'm pointing a finger at you, but I got you know four pointing back at me. Sometimes we struggle to understand the Bible because it's not a simple message. Other times we struggle because the words change meaning over time. And that's the case with the English word meek. Sometimes we hear meek and we think shy. Or we think, um, well, you know, just, just, I mean, things come to mind. That's a meek person. She's a, she's a meek young girl, right? He's a meek man. What does that bring up in your mind? Nowadays, when we hear the word meek, we think of someone who is weak or someone with little strength. Some dictionaries actually offer the word submissive as a definition, uh, sometimes quiet, gentle, and easily imposed upon, submissive, right? So if meek is not a condition of being weak, then what does it mean? So I Googled meek at Google Images. I just 
And it gave me actually a, an image of a, of a hip-hop artist, a rapper named Meek Mills, who does not appear to be very meek. Um, and, but, but here's the thing. Um, we can be because Jesus called us to be. So in Jesus' context, he carries a lot of the idea of not being arrogant or oppressive. In fact, it's used of Jesus in precisely this way, right? It says, for my yoke is easy, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, right? So, so again, um, and yet Jesus chased him out of the temple. But in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, I am meek and lowly of heart. I use the KJV there. Um, so, so here's the thing. It carries the idea of not being pretentious, but instead being gentle and the self-controlled that such personal restraint entails. Now, this is not always easy, right? So I had to make a decision recently. You know, I, I have about uh, uh, 200 people who report up through me to from my direct reports. And sometimes I have to get involved in, you know, most of the time I got a great team and they run it every day, but sometimes I have to get involved. And I, I had to sit down a conversation this past week. I listened to the concerns of different people, had everyone's ideas, and I had to make a very difficult decision that some people didn't like and would have some personnel implications. And I said, calmly, um, but with resolve, okay, so this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to move forward doing it. Now, I would tell you, that wasn't an easy thing, but I wanted to even, as I was preparing this message, it kind of tied into that, right? So I'm thinking, how do I do this meekly, but how do I lead well? And I think words like humble or gentle are really helpful as we consider Jesus' words today, right? Um, one translation says, fortunate are the humble because they will inherit the earth. So I tried to do so in a way that um, that, that marks some of the meekness, right? It's interesting. So uh, Southern horse breeders, you may not know that my middle daughter is a horseback rider. Southern horse breeders used to have a phrase, the meekest horse wins the race. Interesting, right? So the meek horse is the one who most responded to the training. All the horse's obvious and inherent strength is harnessed and brought under focused control. So the meek horse is strong and gentle. The meek horse is powerful and self-controlled. And so can we be. We see this actually in some of the disciplined people who are meek. Take a person who's meek, but also is fit athletically, like I mentioned earlier, right? Or in this case, I was talking about bulging biceps, none of which I have. Uh, but they don't have to brag. They exercise with a quiet strength to restrain from unhealthy foods. They hit the gym. We see this in parents who meekly guide their children. They go into a fit of anger when the child disobeys, but they sit down with them and quietly walk their child through the necessary discipline, right? Again, an area I had to learn, right? So my, I grew up with outbursts of anger at children. That's what I experienced. And I should, again, say that my dad and I are very close today, but, you know, being an alcoholic dad and growing up in an alcoholic home and and I, I never saw that. So, so, but now that's something I want to grow in and not pass that on. I want a meekness in my parenting. We see this in a researcher who meekly seeks to find a cure, a cure for a terrible disease. You know, she doesn't become easily frustrated when an experiment fails, but continues to work towards the cure calmly and patiently. So, so much more should we who walk with Jesus demonstrate self-control and gentleness through this life. We are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength submitted to Jesus. Now, let's talk some about this. Because clearly, Matthew, in recording Jesus' words, is wanting us to see the benefits of these things. 
blessed or fortunate or this is great for you. So what are the benefits of this beatitude? Let's, let's talk about them, right? Um, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? So now that we remembered the purpose of the beatitude, understood the meaning of the word meek, let's look at the verse under consideration again. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So what is Jesus teaching here? Well, the first is as kind of a restatement of, um, of Psalm uh, 37, verse 11, right? And, and that, that points us to being joyful in peace, right? I love that, being joyful in peace. Remember the context. Matthew's all about the Jewish context, right? So remember, a gospel is written by someone, Matthew, about someone, Jesus, to someone, the Jewish followers of Jesus or Jewish people who are considering following Jesus. And so remember the context. And by the way, and I should mention too that one of the things I love about Calvary is we have a long history of caring about engaging the Jewish people as well. So that's one of the reasons I, I wanted Matthew and kind of work with the elders to pick Matthew uh, in this passage. I love that. But there's a clear sense that they're coming back to this joy, right? So that's why being joyful in peace is kind of a recurring theme in Psalm 37. You might think, Ed, you're preaching Psalm 37. I am, because that's what they would have thought of, right? But it says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of the heart. So both in Psalm 37, which is clearly connected to Matthew 5, 5, there's this counterintuitive, beautiful idea that the meek will inherit the land or the earth, right? What a strange idea. This isn't how we understand life to work, right? I read an article about financial investors swooping down into Houston to buy up flooded homes in the expectation that the city will recover from a time of massive flooding. They bought up the land and snatched it up for real estate. Maybe you saw this week that uh, BlackRock is in the buying up, Wall Street Journal had a story, buying up all the homes that they can. Um, to, and they're doing so, you know, obviously to, to, to make a profit, right? So, and that's, that's kind of rushing in to do those things, right? They, so they bought up the, they buy up the land, snatch up the real estate. And, and that's not the only place such things happen, right? In Jesus' day, much of Jerusalem appears to be a city owned by some rich few while the poor labored for them. James 5, 1 through 5, Jesus' half-brother James mentions the guilt of the rich who have defrauded the, quote, laborers who have mowed your fields, unquote. Um, so it, it's the rich and powerful who own the land. It's the it's aggressive to snatch up the land and use it to their advantage. So, but both Psalm thirty-seven eleven and Matthew five five speak of a different message of an upside down kingdom where the powerless are given the land. Okay, now that's got a uh, what we might call an eschatological reality. That's something to come, right? But the inheritance of the earth here looks to reward in the coming kingdom with the with the reign of Christ. Uh, which would be the grand climax of history, notice the future rewards in it out here. It will be um, a consistently recurring theme throughout Matthew's gospel. Um, notice the progression thus far. Jesus' kingdom servants are those who recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. We talked about that. Are deeply sorrowful for it. We talked about that. And now have begun to respond humbly to their trainer. Yeah, I'm tying that in earlier to the horse reference, right? So we are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength submitted to Jesus. So, And the second idea conveyed in Matthew 5.5 5 is that it's a picture of Jesus himself. It's a picture of Jesus himself. We see this reflected in being like Jesus in Philippians. Now, remember, we went through Philippians. You can always go back through that. 
But here, what we find is in this passage of scripture in Philippians 2, uh, I won't go through it all for the sake of, um, of our time, but here in this passage, uh, in, in Paul describes Jesus in his um, pre-incarnate state before he was born Jesus the Christ as equal with God during his incarnation as um, self-restraining from making the use of his divine powers and in his resurrection being exalted. It's a beautiful passage that reminds us, um, it's probably an early Christian hymn, that Jesus in his humility gives up the riches of heaven and takes on, well, let, let's take a look at the passage, right? Because uh, just for the sake of time, I'll put it up here on the screen. Do nothing from selfish ambition but conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, right? I love this, right? Let each of you not look at his only interests, boy, that's a little contrary to our culture today, but also the interests of others, right? Um, but also the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So Paul is encouraging Christians to act, to have the same mind, to, well, how did Jesus act? He humbled himself by becoming a man, taking on the form of a servant, being obedient unto death. And isn't that the real point of Christianity is to be like Jesus, right? Isn't that the whole, I mean, that's if that's the case, then it makes sense that Jesus says, blessed are the meek. So it's not a set of like rules and regulations or even doctrines or theology, though that's all important. But it's ultimately to grow in godliness, to become more like Jesus. Now, here's the thing I want you not to miss. Because, and I recognize that though we all live in New York City and the surrounding area, that, that doesn't mean that everybody is the eight, is the typical New Yorker, right? It's all different kinds of people. But we sometimes have in mind that, that pe preaching on meekness is not something that would be a something we talk a lot about in New York City, right? So, um, so if that's the case, what's, um, what's going on here, right? So, um, because we see that maybe typical or stereotypical New Yorker. But in that time, by Greco-Roman standards, so the culture of that day, the prevailing culture of that day, to display self-deference was not valued. To exercise humility was not praised. And in Mediterranean religious cultures built on the concept of honor and shame, to take a lowly position, to put oneself lower down the social ladder was a mistake, wasn't a good thing, wasn't a virtue, wasn't a value. And in such a society, and as well in today's world, and not just New York, but in Western culture, it's paradoxical, paradoxical to proclaim that the lowly and the humble person is flourishing. But this is precisely what Jesus says. And he calls us as kingdom citizens to do, to be meek, to be gentle, to be humble, for they are the blessed ones. Jesus says the meek, the gentle will inherit the earth. Right, so, so it seems that in line with the first and last beatitude, Jesus is speaking um, very clearly, but also pointing us in a non-literal intent that this is not some, um, well, inheriting the earth really means being part of God's kingdom, right? So that's how he's referring to that we inherit because we become part of God's kingdom or, 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 or put, put simply, the one who humbles himself, we will be exalted in God's kingdom. It's a switching of roles, right? It's a reversal of fortune. Those who are meek, who don't demand their rights, those who are not easily provoked by injury or ready to take offense, those who are mild and meek, those who choose to patiently endure rather than to emulate the actions of the wicked and oppressive, those are the ones who have a place in God's kingdom, who inherit it. So Jesus' beatitude on meekness 
says the exact opposite in many ways of what the world says today and what it said 2,000 years ago, maybe even more so. Because, I mean, literally, meekness was a bad thing in the Roman Empire. So don't feel you have to run the proverbial rat race like the world does. It doesn't mean you can't work hard. I mean, Book of Proverbs is filled with things. That doesn't mean you can't make hard decisions. It doesn't mean you won't disappoint people in those hard decisions. Meekness is not doing what everybody wants. But don't see life as a dog-eat-dog world in which you always got to be on the prowl. Right? We are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. It's a strength submitted to Jesus. So let me kind of conclude with this. Um, think back to the Karate Kid for just a minute. Now, some of you know that this became a series and um, a lot of language in that series. So I'm cautious to recommend things. What's interesting is is the lead character who plays Johnny Lawrence, who was, if you watch Karate Kid, you'll remember the phrase, sweep the leg. He was the kid. So there's a series now. Uh, three seasons of the series have come out. And what's interesting is the character who plays, the actor who plays Johnny Lawrence is actually a Christian. He's talked about his faith. Um, and you can see some themes of faith. But back to the original, right? So the reason Daniel takes on the task of painting a fence and sanding a floor and waxing on and waxing off some cars is because he makes an agreement with Mr. Miyagi. He asks Mr. Miyagi if he will teach karate to Daniel. Mr. Miyagi agrees. He says, we make, quoting his words, we make sacred pact, he says. I promise teach karate to you. You promise learn. I say you do. No questions. So in essence... Daniel becomes Mr. Miyagi's disciple. I mean, this is literally what disciple means, right? Um, and while there's no one-to-one correlation between the Miyagi, Daniel, and God and you, Jesus and you, there is a sense in which God has made a pact through Jesus with those who are his disciples. He promises to teach us what it means to be like God, and that means to be like Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a picture of how God's kingdom looks lived out, calling us to follow. He teaches, we do, no questions. And Jesus is saying that the way to live your best life now, to use a popular phrase, the way to live a life that's honoring to God is to be gentle and meek towards others. And that's an area I think we all need to grow, right? I need to grow. When the world sees your gentleness as nothing more than waxing cars or painting fences, the Holy Spirit is using these times of self-restraint to form us more and more into the image of Jesus. And honestly, I can't think of a better person to be like. Eugene Peterson um, has got a new, uh, there's a new biography out. And so um, a lot of people reading it, but Eugene Peterson put it this way, scripture does not present us with a moral code and tell us to live up to this, nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. Rather, the biblical way is to tell a story in the telling invite, live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in the God-made and God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. Jesus was humble, but wasn't meek. Uh, wasn't weak. He was meek. He does not, he's not afraid to confront religious leaders when they misrepresent a God or rebuke his own disciples for being self-centered, right? Uh, Jesus faced temptation, overcame temptation, right? Um, he, over and over again, is this example. So the, so this week, like as in the next seven days, give thought to gentleness, to humility, to meekness, because we are blessed when we walk with Jesus meekly, waiting on him by faith. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength submitted to Jesus. 
Love that. Love the picture that that presents. Love the word of God as it points us to a better and to a different way. And I want to encourage you that as we look to the word of God this week, as we as we walk through the word of God this week, that in this moment, you can grow and walk in this journey. I'm looking forward to being there in person uh, next Sunday. We're going to be at Hunter College. It's going to be Father's Day. I'm going to continue to walk through the Beatitudes, and I'm looking forward for you to bring friends and family, to invite others. And if you haven't yet gathered with us, we're gathering cautiously, carefully, following local protocols. And I want to encourage you to come join us, and I look forward to visiting with you then. Until then, let's remember, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, indeed, the kingdom and more. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we're learning from it. I pray that you might guide us and glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212 212- Nine seven five zero one seven zero. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.